It's good to be here with you today. Um, those of you here in the fellowship hall and uh, in the traditional uh, worship service over in the sanctuary, hi to you. And if you're just watching me on the screen outside of here, that it's good to s- <laughs> it's good to be with you in spirit. Um, so uh, I, I want to start off today by saying thank you um, from the very bottom of my heart. Um, you have meant the world to me over the last three years, and uh, I was going to not do it this service. <laughs> Oh, so close! All right. Um, uh, you've you've shown me what love in a community uh, feels feels like, um, and so I'm so thankful for that. And uh, thank you. <laughs> we'll cut it there because I <laughs> you're stuck with me till the end of Ames. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're stuck. You know what? Actually, oh, my contact just fell out. <laughs> Not even kidding. Um, you know what? Actually, you are stuck with me till the end of the end because this partnership doesn't end. Uh, we are partners in ministry uh, for as long as we're around here. Uh, but physically, you're stuck with me till, till, mm, May. till May. Um, and so we have to get to a message. And so I want to do that. Uh, thank you, though, for showing me love. Uh, you've shown me godly love. And I've experienced it, and I'm changed by it. Thank you. Um, and we, we hadn't planned to do this. Uh, uh, I wasn't scheduled, or I had been scheduled to do this uh, message long before uh, even any of this came up. Um, but as God would have it, uh, I'm talking about God's display of love uh, in, in this series, that's what we're doing. Um, Cross My Heart, it's the name of this series. God loves you, <laughs> God loves me, He loves this world so much. Might as well finish it. He loves this world in this way that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. That's how much he loves. What a beautiful thing. And the greatest display of his love, the best sense of his character that we get is is his son on the cross. What a display of love. For the love of you, his son was crucified. Have you ever gotten a display of love? You've shown me love and I'm changed. <laughs> you get changed, right? Have you ever gotten roses? I haven't. <laughs> but I've given a few roses <laughs> to my grandma. <laughs> Hope you're watching. But I've seen what my mom responds with when my dad gives her a rose. It's just something that they do. <laughs> and I, I know about the history that that has with them. And I see the look on my dad's face when my mom has a display of love for him. For no reason. Other than the fact that she just loves him. Other than the fact that he just loves her. Seeing her face light up. And when I was a kid, running away, then like, oh, gross! <laughs> Kids, you know what I'm talking about in here, right? Yeah, yeah. Change, <laughs> ew, is right. It changes the atmosphere. You respond to love. A beautiful display of love. You know, we can't fully comprehend what Christ did for us on the cross. It, that kind of love 
to love the entire world like that. And so maybe this rose collection helps with that. And we see it and it looks beautiful, right? And, 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 and from a distance, like, okay, that's a beautiful display of love. That, that is something I want in my life. Even though we always just, sometimes we want things, but we don't totally understand how to do it, how to get there, how to experience it. It's like anytime anyone asks me to meet them at a restaurant, I want to get there. I'm terrible with directions. I will end up on the south side of the cities before I end up here in White Bear Lake, and I've been driving here for the last three years. You know, I want to get there, but I misunderstand something, you know, and I get lost. That's what's happening when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and that's the passage that we're in today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up to that. Uh, Pastor Steve said this earlier, um, but uh, if you're in our Quest Bible, it's page 1,682. And uh, you can pick up there with us. Uh, I encourage you to read along. Um, and he immediately starts off, and you'll recognize this. It's, it's very familiar and very pleasant because of the places that we hear. We hear this at weddings. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And everybody said, mm, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. And yes, it is. And I like that weddings have this scripture. And I also think though sometimes we misunderstand it a little bit because we got to get, we got we to understand a little bit of the background here. Paul continues here and he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I can have all the gifts. I can follow all the rules, but if I'm not full of love, I'm nothing. That's beautiful. It's romantic. It's sweet. I mean, when we just read that by itself, and yeah, sure, reading that by itself, that is comforting. That's wonderful. And I, with this, I don't really have a problem with that. But if we don't understand the story behind it, <laughs> We're missing out on the big picture, on this big display of love and what it really means. And we find ourselves in the same danger as the Corinthians that Paul is writing to who don't fully understand what to do with this love. See, there's 12 chapters in this letter to the Corinthians before Paul writes this. And it's not like somebody just asked, hey, Paul, what is love? Well, no, it, it, the letter builds up to this. So I want us to understand what Corinth was like, the people of Corinth. So Corinth was this major city. And it was corrupt. It was disgusting. It was filthy. Why was it so huge? Why was it so popular? Well, it's location. It was prime. The kids are in here with us today, and they might be able to correct me on this, but I think I checked the geography pages right. And like I said, you guys probably know geography labels, but I don't agree. But there, Corinth is on an isthmus. It's this little stretch of land and it's surrounded by, by two bodies of water and it connects two larger bodies of land. We've got a picture of the map up here and you'll be able to understand why Corinth was such a popular place. I mean, look where it's at. If you want to go south, you take that bridge. 
If you want to go north, you take that bridge. If you want to travel through the sea, well, you're not going to try to go all the way south down past land, hundreds of miles. Oh, no, you're going to go and you're going to pass that bridge. You're going to go through Corinth. And so people understood that and they got that. And so they said, well, if I want to make it, if I want to be successful, an easy place to do that's probably Corinth. If I get to Corinth, people are going to show up. People are going to be around. And where there's people, there's, there's money. And I, I can make a name for myself. You see, the people who were in Corinth, they didn't go there to live. It wasn't a place necessarily to settle and experience life. It was, it was a place to make it. And so it developed this attitude. It developed this behavior. No one was from there. They didn't understand each other. Immensely diverse group of people. And I, didn't really care about each other. They didn't really look out for each other. And so what did Corinth become known for? It became known to be so morally corrupt that they developed this verb that if we were to say it today, we would just say Corinthianize. What does Corinthianize mean? Have, having no regard for morals. They, they would fight. They, they, would, they would cheap each other out of bad deals. They would try to climb the social ladder and, and step on whoever they had to to get to the top. They're promiscuous. They lied to each other. A nasty place. When Paul went there for the first time, he was so fed up. He, he shows up and, and he, tries, he tries just practicing his religion. He tries sharing his faith. They beat him up. Acts chapter 18, check me on this. It says, after they abused him, Paul stood up and he brushed the dust off of his clothes. It's not just some popular Jay-Z song, brush the dirt off your shoulder. Some of you will get that. Some of you won't. It doesn't matter. Either way, why does he have dust on his robe? He has dust on his robe because he was beat down to the ground. And so Paul's so fed up that he says, you know what, I'm done with you. I'm only going to go serve other people now. And God says to him, no. I'm not done with this place yet. I'm not done loving them. People here belong to me, God says to Paul. Stay. And so Paul plants a church. And God, in his immeasurable ability, reaches the people. This disgusting, filthy place. A dog-eat-dog society. Driven by success. That's the kind of people that God goes after. And so when he reaches them with this display of love, it looks pretty, doesn't it? Don't you want a piece of... Wouldn't you love if you received this? But what do you do with it? And that's where the Corinthians went wrong. See, Paul says to them, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels. See, that was the Corinthians' big thing. See, the Corinthians, they were go-getters. They were making a name for themselves. So how do you think they would handle a church? This wasn't just going to be some church. This was going to be the best church. This was going to be the most flamboyant church. This was going to be the most wild church. They were going to be able to perform the most miracles. They were because they were go-getters. They were there to make a name for themselves. So yeah, Paul, teach me about what God has to offer me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that and, and I'm going to speak in tongues because that looks pretty cool. 
Not that there's anything wrong with tongues. And, and I'm, then the people on the other side, well, I'm going to become very, very legalistic. I'm going to follow the rules better than anyone else. And then other people, well, I have, I have this gift of teaching, and I have this gift of prophecy, and I have all this knowledge. I know it all. So I don't really need to follow the rules. That is how they were practicing their faith. It was reliant on their own gifts. It sees this gift that God has given them and says, yeah, you know what, that's beautiful. But look at how they had been conditioned throughout their entire life. I'm a go-getter. I'm going to make a name for myself. Well, same thing goes in my church. Look what I can do. That's not the point of faith. See, Paul confronts them. Speak in tongues of men or of angels. Fine. But if you don't have love, you're a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. Now, that's not just to draw a picture in your head to think, okay, that's annoying. And yes, it is. If it's done not, uh, not with love. But clanging cymbals, banging gongs, is pagan worship. And the Corinthians would have known that. See, the, the pagans, the, the people who were worshiping false idols, what they would do is they would bang these gongs as loud as they could, and it was intimidating. And so people would notice. And you bet their God would notice too. The gods would be impressed. The people would be impressed. Look at me. And Paul says, you associate yourself with Christianity. You associate yourself with my faith, but you're no different than the pagan worshipers. What? What do you mean? Well, Paul says, see, you're go-getters. You see this gift and you say, I want that. But in your mind, it's what can I do to achieve that? And so as a Corinthian, I'm detailed. I want to find out everything that I can. They were known for their knowledge. They were known for their gifts. They were known for their public displays. And so how can I publicly display myself? Well, I'm, let me examine this. It's got, it's got this stem here and it's got this support. So uh, let me make myself look a little bit like that. Here's a start. Got a stick. Okay, that's not quite as pretty. What can I do to help? I know. I'll decorate myself. Absolutely. Aren't I gorgeous now? I can speak in tongues. I've got all this knowledge. I can prophesy. I follow the law better than anyone. You see? I can make myself look like a rose. <laughs> if you couldn't hear, she said no, and she's read the end of this passage. We have a Bible scholar up here. I, I like that. Good job out of you, sister. All right. See, don't I look good? That's right. Preach it. Don't let me get in the way. Amen. No, she says. Amen. <laughs> you look nice for a second because you've put some decorations on yourself. But does that actually change what's on the inside? Does that actually change the, the structure, who you are? No, God wants to transform you 
not just put stuff on you. He wants to change your essence. See, here's the problem. Paul continues in his writing to the Corinthians. We'll pick up in verse 4. He says to them, Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. It is not proud. Does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Why does he tell them that? Why does he tell them that? Because they were trying to hold themselves up like this. But what's the problem when a dead stick tries to hold up rose petals? I could even tape it, but eventually that rose petal is going to die. It's going to fall off. You're practicing your old ways still. You haven't let this transform you yet. You're still just trying to be a stick holding yourself up and you're trying to disguise yourself and you're trying to get yourself recognized. And your same old ways are ending up with the same results. He says love is patient, love is kind. He says love does not boast. Corinthians, you're boasting. Love doesn't envy. Corinthians, why are you so envious of everyone? Love doesn't hold grudges. Corinthians, why are you still having lawsuits against each other in the church? He says this all the way throughout the book leading up to this, chap- to this 13th chapter. Corinthians, you're stuck in your old ways. Why would you expect new results? If you really had love, if you've really been transformed, you would understand. Love doesn't hold grudges. Love rejoices in truth. Love is patient and love is kind. And this is really tempting. Because you can continue to put up these petals. And for a moment at least, it looks really good. And and actually, these petals might even be from the source themselves, or itself. So what's wrong with that? It's not sustainable. You can't keep producing that on your own. Paul is saying, not only are you spiritually immature if you're trying to do it this way, you're spiritually nothing. And it's like, oh, okay, well, well, so the Corinthians, they must have just actually been confused. They were really worshiping the devil and their miracles and their signs were just through Satan. No, probably not. No, I mean, Jesus says to his disciples, many will say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We healed in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We raised dead in your name. And Jesus says back, I never knew you. I never knew you. You didn't let me in. Because when I go in, I transform. This is tempting because it looks good and for a while it starts to work. And you start to say, well, see, I've got, I've got some good stuff going for me. You know what my temptation is? So, you know, I'm, I'm a seminary student. I want to be a pastor. And, and so, so when Kevin and I meet with Pastor Steve, if, if, if we were to sit there and we were to, you know, pull into this and, 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 and to Steve and be like, all right, hey, Steve, 
what can I do to be the absolute best teacher? Okay, that's fine. Okay, cool. But then if what if we were to take it another step further? So that people would just see how good I am. And here's the thing. Sometimes it works. You know that, right? I mean, sometimes it works. Sometimes you can get away with it. God works through people who aren't with him. Whoa, whoa, don't say that. Well, no, absolutely. All good things. James 1, all good things come from God. All good things. You think God doesn't work through the lives of any given human being? Absolutely he does. How would the world be tolerable if, it was, if he didn't? All good things come from God. Therefore, the good things that happen in people's lives, the good things that people produce, that comes from God. But it doesn't mean that God's in them. And people might benefit from it because, hey, God can work through anything. It's a wonderful and beautiful thing. They might be transformed. I can stand up here and read scripture to you and, it would mean, and, and I would have it mean nothing to me, but it still might touch you. Oh, but what about me? I'm missing out. I'm missing out on what this love really has for me because I'm trying to hold up the pedals on my own. This isn't love. What do you mean? I mean, I would stand up and I would teach to people and they would benefit. It's not love if it's about me. It's not love if it's just about, if you're the one doing it, it's just about you. I mean, think about this. If I were to ask you, do you love me? I hope you'd say yes. If, if you're married, if you're dating someone, if, if you've got a, a close relationship with someone, the, the person you're closest with in your life, do you love me? Yes. Why? Why do you love me? If your answer is, I love you because fill in the blank for that person. You, you love yourself. If you love someone because, because they make you feel nice, that's not love for another person. That's love for yourself. I, I love you because you do something good for me. Well, what if, what if you don't want to do something good for me? Do I not love you anymore? Or do I just love the action that you've performed for me? The temptation is to say, I love you because you do this. Grace says, I love you because I love you. End of story. I love you because I love you. There's nothing else that could happen. And if you try it any other way, this is what it looks like. Everything else fades away. These gifts Wonderful. Use them. These laws, great. Follow them. Very important. But you know that those only last for so long. Prophecy, tongues, all these spiritual gifts, teaching, they help you for right now. But Paul says, but when all things are known, love is the one that lasts. These things are no longer even worthwhile. When we're in heaven, Prophecy doesn't matter. We see it. We're experiencing God. I mean, it mattered then and it helped us to where we were now. I don't want to be a heretic. The best teacher in the world 
When you get to heaven, am I really going to worry about the things that I taught you here? That fades. This isn't real. This isn't a transformation. This is changing the decor. And that's not what God wants. See, Paul says, if you don't want to be spiritually nothing, if you want to be spiritually mature, don't you know, when I was a child, I did childlike things. But as an adult, I grew up. And it's kind of weird, like, okay, Paul, why are you talking about spiritual maturity all of a sudden? Because what is spiritually mature? It's understanding that love is the answer. It's understanding that it's not about your gifts. It's understanding that love is the driving factor behind this God who would send his son into this world. What is God? The Bible does not say God is power. It says God is powerful. It does not say God is knowledge. It says God is all-knowing. What does it say? It says God is love. God is love. The essence of God is not power. The essence of God is love. God didn't send his son into this earth because he's powerful. He sent his son into the earth because he loves you. And so if the essence of God is not love, the essence of Christianity of our faith is not gifts. The essence of our faith is grace. Spiritual maturity knows that this doesn't cut it. And I know there's someone here, there's someone around who says, oh, I know this doesn't cut it. Because I can't even hold pedals up for a second. I feel like everything I try, I'm the least gifted person. I feel like every single rule that I try to follow, I just fail. I'm a terrible Christian. I'm awful. You could be the most gifted person in the world and accomplish nothing spiritually. You could be the most ungifted person in the world and accomplish everything spiritually. I know, because I feel like this sometimes. I feel like this a lot. You don't have to remind me that I'm a stick, that I'm dead. That's the first step to spiritual maturity, though. In the same way that the Corinthians needed to be reminded, don't rely on your gifts for your faith. If you're someone who feels completely incompetent in every single way, don't you rely on your lack of gifts. Experience love. God loves you because he loves you. Paul says it to the Corinthians and it speaks so truly today. God loves you because he loves you. God loves you because he loves you. There's nothing you could do that would make him love you less. There's nothing you could do that would make him love you more. Oh, 
A mother nursing her baby? A mother taking care of her child? What good can that child do for her mom? Nothing. I mean, I get it. Like, you know, if I were to talk to, well, it's the, the gift of being a mom, you know, I, I get that. But that child can do nothing back. And so moms, why do you love the child? Because you love him. Because you love him. Why do you love? Because you're loved. At a certain point, you realize these gifts are limited. And not only do the, pellets, do, the, do, the, do the rose pellets keep on falling away, eventually the stick keeps breaking smaller and smaller and smaller. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's as small as I can break it. And then what are we? Those decorations don't matter much anymore, do they? Because there's nothing to hold it. Take heart. Take heart. You're trying to go in your old ways. (laughs) You're trying to follow the world's way. How about you try my way now? And you'll see new results. Because for the love of you, Christ did the work. We're the beneficiaries of that. Sure, we get gifts. Sure, we have the opportunity to follow law and benefit from that law so we're living a better life with the people around us. For the love of you, Christ did the work of giving up love from his Father. So you don't ever have to experience that. So you don't ever have to know what it's like to be alone. For the love of you, he did this. And now you realize, now you realize that it's not what I can do. It's not about how many pellets I can handle. It's not about how many pellets I can hold up because eventually they fall down. The mature Christian knows that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are not a stick trying to hold up gifts. You are not a stick trying to perform for the world around you. You're not just some sort of rule-following, legalistic person either. It goes both ways. You're the rose. You're the rose because you're God's love. You're, You're the most important thing to him. Why does God love you? Because he loves you. And don't ever forget that. See, Paul writes to the Corinthians, Hey, remember this. I'm not comparing myself to a biblical author. But if I were to say something to you, I'd say just, I don't need to remind you. I just would ask you not to forget because community of grace, you get a lot of stuff, you really get this. Because I've experienced, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> won't do it. I have experienced it firsthand. You know it's not gifts. I'm just asking that you don't ever forget that. 
because you have experienced the love of the Father and you're not just trying to put decorations on a stick. You've become transformed and you know you're the rose. You know that God loves you. And you've been transformed into a vessel of love yourself. And I've experienced it firsthand. To where I know, I know it's not about my gifts. Do I fall into that temptation? Yeah, I do. But I know. Because of you, I've been able to experience it. Because you know you're loved by a God who loves you because he loves you. I could get up here and lay an egg. And I know this part because I have. (laughs) I could lay an egg. And Pastor Steve would still call me his little brother. Jeff Montgomery, our executive administrator with Kimmy Hogg. Melinda, our youth director, she'd say, I'm proud of you. You really brought it today. And you. Oh, you. I hope you've seen some highs, but you've also seen some lows. Half the time I get up here to do the blessing afterward, I have to change it halfway through because I, I forget the words. I can't rely on my gifts. The first time that I presided in, in traditional by myself, I skipped the gospel reading. <laughs> I got up there and I said, well, the sermon's about to start. And they just looked at me. I love you. (laughs) You love me because you love me. When the kitchen staff gives me cookies, my love language. When you say hi, when you encourage me, you you love me because you love me. And I'm changed because of that. See what happens? When you're rooted in God and his love, it multiplies. And that lasts forever. Oh, I can't wait to dance with you in heaven. I'm going to dance for a little bit longer too. You know you're loved. I'm really glad because I've been the beneficiary. Sounds cheesy, but you're my community of grace. <laughs> Thanks for knowing God loves you. Thanks for knowing that that lasts forever and sharing it with me. We you pray? Uh, God, thanks for your love and um, thanks for... Uh, thanks for this church. Uh, thank you for this family. Uh, thank you for relaxing my tears by having a band members trip up the stage. <laughs> Divine intervention. God, thanks for loving us because you love us. Not because of what we can do for you, not because of what we can hold up. 
Let that be our encouragement. Let that transform us. We love you. Amen.